Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in chapter 2 of our study in the book of Ephesians this morning. it wasn't a, a golden, it was a golden retriever, by the way. Yes, the retriever. I have, I have a golden retriever. They are the superior dog to Labrador, so I'm sorry for those <laughs> of you who have a Labrador. Uh, but, yes. Um, and it has, been a, it has just been a privilege and a joy to be able to get to know some of you. And if I have not gotten to know you yet or have had a conversation with you yet, I do apologize and um, just... Come up to me anytime after the service, before the service, and I would just love to get to know you and your story and how God has worked in your life. Uh, you all have been a blessing to me and my wife just over the past three weeks, three or four weeks now. I can't remember how long, but uh, you all have been an, an immense blessing. And uh, to be able to be here uh, Sunday in and Sunday out over the summer to preach the Word of God uh, to you and, and, and hear how it's producing fruit in your lives is, is just one of my favorite things. Um, and I couldn't ask for any more than that. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Let's go ahead and begin. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, kindly make us for your Son's sake. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago when I started the study in Ephesians, I was going to title my first sermon, The Prosperity Gospel. And then I thought to myself, I better not make the elders or any of the congregants uncomfortable my first Sunday here. I might not be back up in the pulpit. But the reason I was going to title the sermon The Prosperity Gospel was because of all the riches and the possessions that we have in Christ in verses 1 through 14 that we looked at our first week in our study. 
Uh, it is all the blessings that Paul praises God for that he has given them in Christ Jesus. It is the riches that the saints possess in the Son of God. And so that's why I was going to entitle it the Prosperity Gospel. So instead of entitling my sermon a little bit of controversial the first Sunday, I'll just go ahead and, and lay one before you this Sunday. And this Sunday, I want to preach to you the gospel according to works. And just bear with me here for a few minutes. Uh, because what Paul is going to do in chapter 2, after he has praised God for the riches and the blessings that we have in Jesus, and then he moves to a prayer that we looked at last Sunday in verses 15 through 23, that we would grow in sanctification in our knowledge and wisdom and revelation of God. This, this Sunday, the mood shifts a little bit in chapter 2. Uh, he, he begins, uh, Paul begins here, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Talk about a mood kill here. So what Paul does in verses 1 through 10 in our passage this morning, you might be asking, why, 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 would, you, why would you call this the gospel according to works? Is because Paul is going to lay out a simple point here for the church, and that is we were saved from works, we were saved by works, and we're saved for works. Some of you are thinking, well, how does that work? Well, I, how is a good question, but we already saw how that worked in verses 3 through 14 in chapter 1. The question I want to ask this morning is, is really threefold. What works were we saved from? And what works were we saved by? And what works were we saved for? That's the, those are the questions I, I want us to ask this morning, and that's going to shape the rest of our time together. So let's go ahead and look at the first one. What works were we saved from? Well, Paul gives us in verses 1 through 3 that we were saved from the works of darkness. He begins and he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, notice Paul uh, describes our condition in verse 1 as dead. Uh, you don't need to be a biblical scholar to understand what Paul means here when he talks about our spiritual condition prior to Christ. He means dead. Uh, I don't need to pull out a Greek lexicon uh, to, to go into the word here uh, to understand that what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to paint a picture of our absolute hopelessness the absolute helpless state outside of Jesus. And notice uh, the deadness is described as being dead in the trespasses, in trespasses and in sins. Now, I think sometimes the beauty of the gospel of Jesus is marred because we have replaced biblical terminology uh, with watered-down man-made versions of them. You know, so, so, so sometimes what we do is, is we think... Uh, and, and even Christians are, uh, we are prone to this trap where we lessen the offense of our former life. You know, uh, imagine if Paul were to write this verse in our modern context, in our modern terminology. I mean, it's all over some of modern Christian worship songs and country music I, I hear, and, and other types of music. I hear, you know, words thrown around like mistakes and flaws and imperfections to describe our condition. 
And sometimes, sometimes it's not even mistakes, flaws, or imperfections. Sometimes uh, the, the world likes to position the human condition in just a bit of a neutrality or just a mere goodness. Well, we're all basically good. We all operate out of this innate goodness that we have, or we're, or we're just kind of neutral towards God. You know, sometimes we operate in this fog, as, as one of the members uh, that I've talked to here puts it, uh, in our culture where we just kind of, we just kind of sit in this little place of, uh, of all, all of humanity is, is, is basically okay. Uh, we're just a little misunderstood at times. Imagine if Paul were to write in verse 1, instead of being dead in the trespasses and our sins, if he just said, and you were misunderstood in your mistakes and your flaws. Well, that doesn't sound very bad, does it? I mean, if, if we're just mistaken or if we're flawed, well, you know, that's not a big deal. Or if we're just misunderstood. But that's not what Paul says. That's not, what, that's not the picture that Paul gives us here in verses 1 through 3. He, he gives us a picture of a hopelessness. If we're going to recover the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must recover the ugliness of what we were saved from. Uh, we do not do the world a service when we present the gospel to them without presenting their hopeless condition before we present the good news? Why would anybody accept a cure to something that they don't think they have in the first place? Why would somebody be drawn and compelled to the grace and kindness of Jesus Christ if they don't think that they're already, that they're in a position of hopelessness and helplessness and deadness? If they don't think that they're walking in darkness... And again, as those who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, sometimes we lessen the offense of our former life and our former works. Now, some of uh, the best moments I, I have had with God and in fellowship with His Spirit and in fellowship with other believers is when I'm thinking over what God has actually saved me from. If we're not honest with ourselves and if we're not honest with one another and if we're not honest with the world about the, the dead condition, the hopeless condition, the inability to save and to do anything for yourself, the, the, the inability to produce any righteousness according to God's standard before God, if we're going to water that down, if we're going to be a little unclear about that, then our message is going to be unclear, it's going to be unfruitful, and it's not going to produce the discipleship that Jesus has his people go out and, and, and commissions them to. Uh, Paul's description of us as being dead in sins and trespasses is only meant to communicate that helplessness so that we might be drawn to the one who helps. That we might be drawn to the helper. That we might be drawn to the, the sin bearer. Notice here, sometimes when, when I hear people take, uh, interpret these passages or bring up Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, uh, a lot of theologians and a lot of, uh, a lot of people like to, to highlight the deadness part. And I wanted to highlight that there to show our, our helpless state outside of Christ. But Paul doesn't stop at that deadness. Sometimes when I hear of this passage, it's like we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and it almost makes it seem like we were kind of passive, or people just want to go ahead and highlight our inability to save ourselves. And that's something that Paul is doing here. But Paul is also trying to place a culpability on people outside of Christ and the person who are now in Christ, outside of Christ. There's a, there is an act, activeness in our former works. 
That's why, that's why the whole point of this uh, verses 1 through 3 is that we were carrying out the works of darkness, that we were saved from the works of darkness because we were actually walking and living and carrying out works of darkness. There was, it, it's not as we were just uh, dead and not doing anything or, or we were just kind of, you know, simply passive in our former life. God did not save you from passivity, but he saved you from an active life of working according to the kingdom of darkness. Look at the verbs that Paul uses here in in verses 2 through 3. He says, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, you were active in your former works. You were active in the life that God saved you from. Everything that you did either came from following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, or following the passions of your flesh. That's the reality of it. The reality is that outside of Christ, you might be able to do some good things, but you're still dead in your sins and trespasses. So it doesn't matter if people do some good things, if people live moral lives, if people have good families, if people are conservative, or if people have nice degrees. The fact is, is that you can still do good things and be dead in your sins and trespasses and sins. You can still be an upright standing American and still be dead in your sins and trespasses. You know, Satan doesn't really care if you have a a, a good moral ideology. Satan doesn't really care if you uh, if you have if you've lived a good life and you've been uh, you've been successful. As long as you remain dead in your sins and trespasses. You continue to carry out the works of darkness. As long as, as somebody is not living the crucified life, denying themselves as Jesus called them to do, as long as somebody does not utter the words, Jesus Christ is Lord, you're dead in your trespasses and your sins. We're not passive players. We were not passive players, but active star MVPs on the roster of the kingdom of darkness. And that's where everybody stands outside of Jesus. That's, that is your task. You might ask, is, and you might be asking, is, work, is works of darkness really appropriate? Isn't that a little much? I mean, is it really works of darkness? Well, well let's go ahead and let's just take a look at uh, the verses 1 through 3 a little bit closer. Let's look at the way that Paul frames this. Because the way he frames our, our works uh, is, 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 is within this threefold kind of anti-unholy Trinitarian framework. If you notice in chapter 1, the salvation that was provided in God is carried out in this triune, in his triune nature. And then the prayer to know God, the, the ability to know God more, to grow in him, to grow in sanctification is also carried out in this triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, in verses 1 through 3, you have this kind of, this perverted triune, course of this world, prince of the power of the air, passions of your flesh. In other words, yes, it's the works of darkness because it is anti-God. It is a mockery of the nature of God. Uh, Look at uh, verses 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world. So we have the world 
And then we have the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is the unholy spirit, not the Holy Spirit. This is, uh, some commentators believe that this is Satan himself, the prince of darkness, the prince of demons, at work, working through um, all of those who are outside of Christ, through the world. Um, and then we have uh, the flesh. So there are, are this, this threefold uh, kind of framework that everybody operates outside of the triune God, outside of being in the Son, in relationship to the Father, uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the reality in which every single person lives. And we actively walked in the fellowship of this anti-unholy Trinitarian framework. And that is where we, uh, Paul says, that we lived. That's where our uh, homeland was prior to Jesus. That is the kingdom that we represented. And that is the kingdom that everybody, no matter who they are, no matter what their status is, no matter what position they have in society, uh, no matter rich or poor, young or old, successful, unsuccessful, uh, moral, immoral person operates. That's what we were saved from. We were saved from active obedience to the kingdom of darkness. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 5-6, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is not darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And again, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, uh, which is very similar to the book of Ephesians. It, it, it's almost like it's twin in the New Testament here. Uh, Paul writes, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. There are, no two way, there are not more than two ways about this. There are two realities. There are two kingdoms. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. So we were saved from the works of darkness. We were saved from the kingdom of the darkness. We were saved from our employee of the month stamped on our resume. And God took us from that. God saved us from that. So we were saved from the works of darkness. Second, I said that we were saved by works. I think maybe that might be the most startling one. And the one that you guys really want me to get to right away and just clear that up. Um, well, we were saved from works, but we were saved by works. And the works that we were saved by were the works of God. We were saved by the works of God. Look at verses 4 through 9. Uh, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Um, I, I don't know how many people in here uh, follow superhero films or are big on Marvel or DC or anything like that, but I have gone to almost every opening weekend release of a Marvel film, uh, of a superhero film, in my Iron Man t-shirt, ready to nerd out with the rest of them and watch Earth's greatest heroes fight the, the forces of darkness. And, and so that's, I, I, I just, I, I, I love that. I love the narratives. I love the plots. I love the character developments and all of that. And then when I, so when I read verse four, um, I couldn't help, the but God, I couldn't help but think this is the turning point. And this is the turning point here because in every, every superhero film, what you have is you have this kind of crisis moment in the film. You have this moment where you're not really sure um, how the, the good guys are going to come out on top. And it looks like the forces of darkness are actually winning this one. Like they're actually going to succeed uh, in what they sought to accomplish and what they sought to destroy. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Thor comes out with his hammer or Captain America just yells out, Avengers assemble. And, 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 and the good guys win. Right? I just get hyped up thinking about those scenes too. Um, but, so, but verse 4, when, when Paul writes, but God, that's the turning point. This is God's big heroic moment. This is Paul's do, what Paul's doing in verses 4 through 9. And he, he is going to exalt and elevate and emphasize the hero, the true hero of humanity in Scripture. Just, just so we're clear, the, the, the big hero in the Bible is God. He's the hero of every book in the Bible. Abraham's not the hero. Noah's not the hero. David wasn't the hero. None of the kings of Israel were the hero. Paul's not the hero. Only God, and in the face of Jesus Christ, is the hero, the Savior, the one who steps in and overturns the kingdom of darkness through the kingdom of light. God is the hero. So when Paul writes, but God, what he's saying is that it looked like the kingdom of darkness was winning. It looked like the kingdom of darkness had a hold. It looked like that kingdom was growing and expanding and moving and influencing. And then God steps in through his son, and overpowers all of that. So um, when we read but God, we're, re we're really reading a heroic moment here in Scripture and how God actually saved us. It's his work. It's God's work. Notice, um, notice the weapons here. Notice the, the, the means by which God works to save us. Uh, if you see here in uh, verse uh, 4, God, but God, being rich in mercy. So the first way that, God, that, that we see them, the means by which God is saving us is through his mercy. And it's a wealth and, and it's abundance of mercy. Paul describes it as, as God being rich in mercy here. It's the same kind of mercy that David knew of when he prayed in Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Next, Paul says that uh, God, not only through the richness of his mercy, but by the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. So God's big heroic moment, wielding mercy and love and kindness, steps into that, our, our situation and pulls us out 
and raises us with Christ. Notice the gospel message here that Paul has, because really verses 4 through 9 is just a, the gospel in, the, in a nutshell. It is the richest, uh, packed, uh, smallest statement of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, notice that the, the message that Paul is giving is not uh, bad people becoming good. This isn't behavioral management, in other words. Uh, Paul says that, that God did not take you and fix up your life and make you a better person. He actually made you alive. He actually made you sensitive to who he was, to his righteousness, to your sin, to the ugliness of sin, to the wretchedness of who you were outside of him, to the hopelessness that Paul describes in verses 1 through 3. Uh, so often, uh, there are too many people out in our communities. There's too many people outside of the church that think the gospel message is become a good person. Being a Christian is being a good person. When in reality, the gospel message is that dead people, blind people, hardened people, sinful people, stuck people, hopeless, all gets made alive. The blind receive sight. The deaf hear. There's this, the, the hard heart goes from the new heart. There is a new spirit within you, a new creation, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The gospel never is a shift uh, in, in, in behavior management. It's never uh, do these things and make your life look like this or, or, or subscribe to these uh, standards here. It's, it's you couldn't reach these standards. You couldn't love God in the way that he's commanded you to love him, in the way that his son has perfectly loved him. And so what he does is he does it all himself, lays his life down for us, uh, and then offers that new life and makes us new. It's new life. Uh, it is, Paul describes what has happened to the church as being alive in Christ. God made you alive. And not only did Paul make you alive in Christ, uh, but he raised you, verse 6, raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only does God give us new life, but he raises us to the position of his own son. When God saved you, he did not find you in high places. He did not find you at your best. Because your best was not good enough. Your best was not the standard of a holy God. And so uh, every, every Sunday, uh, just to illustrate this, every Sunday I drive by a house in Brookneal that I used to party at when I was in high school. Uh, and, and every time I drive by that house, I'm reminded of where I was when God met me and, and saved me. Right? I'm reminded that, that God took a, a reckless, uh, rebellious, ungodly 21-year-old and removed him from that, removed him from unrighteousness, stepped down into that, took me and raised me up to the place of his son, gave me the righteousness of the son, put me far above in the heavenly places with his son, identified me with his son, 
So, so when it, I, I was thinking as I was driving by that house, I, all I could think about is, is, is that's what I was saved from. I've had a number of uh, former teachers, uh, people that I knew growing up, and, and they just kind of get confused at my life now. Uh, it's, it, my, my, my path in life, the fact that I am you know, going into full-time ministry and preaching the Bible, and I'm just really all about Jesus and obsessed with Jesus. And, and, and I, I had one person, uh, I had one teacher actually ask me how. I had one teacher, she was just so confused as to, to what happened to me and how that happened. And the only response that I have is the grace of God in, in, in Jesus Christ. The only response I have to that. And some people, some people, people outside of Christ that I know, people that I used to, to work with, carry out the kingdom of darkness work, this, the people that I used to run with, uh, they, they not only get confused, but they get a little um, indignant. They get a little, well, I know who you were. Praise God you knew who I was. I know who I was. I'll tell anybody who I was because that's where God saved me and that's who God saved. God saved a sinner. God did not save somebody who was neutral, who was passive, who was good, or who had his life together. God saved the kid who was partying in high school and was trying to find meaning in all other places except for his creator. God saved a wretch. God saved a rebel. God had rich, abundant mercy and love for somebody like me. And that's where we all were. And he gave me not only the life of Jesus, and he not only gave me the position of Jesus, but he also gave me the gift of faith. Uh, look at verse 8. Paul reiterates again. Uh, he says in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. And then, he, and then he describes how and what that entails with the raising up in the position of Christ uh, and the immeasurable, uh, in verse 7, I, I kind of skipped over this, but you might be, why did God do this? Well, the answer is in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He did it because God is kind, not because you deserved it, not because I deserved it. God did it because God is a kind God. Uh, Romans uh, 1 tells us it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. In the Psalms, David prays and says, it is your kindness and gentleness that has made me great. And in verse 8, Paul wraps it up as, as he bookmarks this with the reiteration of the grace that has brought this salvation. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. In other words, you can't even boast about the faith that you have in God because the faith that you have in God was a gift from God to begin with. Do you see the, the elevation of the works of God in verses 4 through 9? The heroic moment that God, uh, that belongs to God solely? All of the weapons of the kingdom of light overcoming our, our works of darkness and bringing us into this place of Christ. And, and so this is, verses 4 through 9, is all about how we were saved by the works of God. It is a complete and utter gift of his kindness. So if you came here this morning... 
and and you find your and you find yourself in, in in that in that house that metaphorical house so to speak that house of darkness that house of carrying out the works of the kingdom of darkness and you think to yourself i mean i've i've talked to people who are like man god can forgive you but he can't forgive me god can give me give you grace but he can't give me grace you don't know where i came from bro i know where you came from because i was hanging out in those places we were all hanging out in those places like, yeah, yeah, you don't understand. Just because you were in a different room in the house of the kingdom of darkness doesn't mean we weren't dwelling in the same place, right? Just because you were doing, just because you were carrying out one task for the prince of the power of the air and I was carrying out another task, that doesn't make me more worthy of God's grace than you are. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, just, I just don't know. Look, verses four through nine say God is a big God. Verses 4 through 9 says that it doesn't matter where you are. God, because of the great love with which you loved us, even while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Life is available. Life is available through Christ. And you don't have to work your way to this gift. You just have to, you just have to simply receive it. Take it in. Let it raise you up to the places of Christ. Let it raise you up and exalt you to a position that you can't get to yourself. Uh, and, and so we were saved by the works of God. And lastly, in this little threefold formula here that Paul's, Paul lays out before us, um, is that we were saved. I, I mentioned we were saved for works. And what, what were those works that we were saved for? Well, verse 10, Paul describes that we were saved for good works. So we were, saved by the, uh, we were saved from the works of darkness, verses 1 through 3. We were saved by the works of God, verses 4 through 9. And we were saved for good works, verse 10. Look at verse 10. Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Uh, most evangelical Christians will amen the first two points. They're very, very good with the first two points. We were saved from our wretchedness and we were saved by the complete working of God and nothing else outside of that, the grace of God. But then when we get to this point, uh, people start to shrink back a little bit. Let me just make this clear real quick. Well, actually, the Bible couldn't be more clear on this point, that we were saved for good works. Uh, Good works is not an invention by religion. It's not an invention by, by man. It's not something that we have to shrink back. This was God's idea. This was God who said, I'm going to pull you out from the works of darkness by my works of grace for the works of the kingdom of light now. Uh, could you imagine, uh, like, if, if we were walking and carrying out works of darkness for the prince of the power of the air, why would we not carry out works of goodness and light for the kingdom and for the king of kings? It doesn't make any sense. Can you imagine your, fa imagine your favorite pro football, pro basketball, pro hockey, whatever, whatever you, you watch. Imagine your favorite pro football team decided to draft uh, that first-round pick uh, quarterback from the Ohio State University, and I am an Ohio State fan, so um, imagine they draft that QB, and, and they get the QB, and they're like, hey, you know what? You absolutely crushed it uh, for the Ohio State University, but um, guess what? We don't expect you to do that here. 
go ahead. Uh, why don't you relax a little bit? Why don't you sit on the sideline? Why don't you reap the benefits of being on this team and do none of the things you did for the former team? That sounds a little silly, right? We would kind of be confused if a team did that. Why does it sound confusing that God expects good works out of his people? Why is it confusing then that God takes us from the works of darkness, puts us in his kingdom of light, and then expects us to, like, God is not, God did not save you so you could sit back and chill and relax and wait for heaven. Because there is the prince of the power of the way. Look, the works of darkness didn't stop because you got brought out from the works of darkness. Because there's still thousands, billions of people in the kingdom of darkness. Look at verse, um, going back to verse 3, Paul says, Among whom we all once lived, um, or actually before that, verse 2. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at works in the sons of disobedience. The power of the kingdom of darkness is still at work. And so why would the people of God in the kingdom of God not work overtime to produce good works so that people might see the good works and glorify our Father in heaven? That's why Jesus just expected his people to do good works, by the way. When he said that people might see your good works. He wasn't saying that God needs to see your good works. He was saying that our neighbors need to see our good works. Martin Luther, one of the founder, like one of the most biggest champions of Protestantism. We, we, we love the Reformation. We love what Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and uh, Ulrich Zwingli stood for because they were by grace alone, through faith alone, by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Martin Luther said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbors do. Here's a man who was repulsed at the idea that you could earn any righteousness or favor with God by your good works, and he's not shrinking back from the good works that God has called his people to. The gospel should change you. The gospel should change everything about you. If, if, if you were not a Christian at one point, if you were not a disciple of Jesus, and now you're a disciple of Jesus, and you still know or talk to people who knew you before you were a disciple of Jesus, and they see absolutely no difference in you, you're probably not a disciple of Jesus. Uh, a friend and I were talking the other day, and he asked the question. He brought up an excellent point, which is, he brought up the point, uh, why do pastors and uh, why do church people, right, why, the church, why do we say, why do we say things like, I think we're going to be surprised who's in heaven one day? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever heard about that? Somebody, like, we have pastors preaching, and they're like, we're going to be really surprised who's in heaven one day. What do you mean we're going to be surprised? The New Testament clearly makes a distinction from the people of God and the people who are not of God. We're going to be surprised. I, I think the whole idea we're going to be surprised who's in heaven one day comes from this place of we just, uh, Christians, people want to make themselves think that they're Christians, think that they're disciples of Jesus, and make themselves feel better that one day they're going to end up in the kingdom of heaven, and they haven't done a thing. In fact, there, people want to carry out the works of darkness and still be part of the kingdom of light. The New Testament gives us a, a different picture. And the New Testament says, look, this is what the people of God look like. This is what the people of God do. This is what the people of, this is the value system the people of God embrace. You will know them by their fruit. I shouldn't have to guess on if you're in Christ. 
I should just be able to know or not. People shouldn't have to guess whether you're in Christ or not. So there's no room in the Christian life for sideline sightseers. You haven't been saved to sit. You've been saved to carry out the works of God. You know, Jesus put the works of God out like this. Go make disciples. If you're wondering what are the works of God, if you're thinking, you know, well, give me a list here. Uh, what's the list? Go make disciples of all nations. You can only make a disciple if you are a disciple. At least you can only make a disciple of Jesus if you are a disciple of Jesus. Love the body of Christ. Love his bride. You know, sometimes it's easy to get tripped up on uh, works we have done in the past. Some of you guys came in and the works of the past still haunt you. Just because you've been pulled out of the kingdom of darkness doesn't mean the kingdom of darkness still doesn't like to haunt you and whisper in your ear, remind you of all the tasks that you carried out, all the passions of your flesh that you lived in, all the ways in which you muddied the name and righteousness of God. And then other people, so there you have that, but then other people came in here and, and either uh, you're, you're proud of the works that you have done or you're thinking, man, I'm not doing enough. What I, what I don't want this point here to be uh, is, is this reminder of how much you're not doing. I, I think if one, if you're, just a side note, if you're worried about not doing enough, you're probably you're probably doing something, right? Like nobody who is, is making disciples, going out and doing the work of the kingdom, nobody's like, you know, someone who's not doing that isn't thinking to themselves constantly, man, I wonder if I'm doing enough for the kingdom of God. The people who are probably doing the stuff for the kingdom of God are the ones who are thinking, man, I'm not doing enough for the kingdom of God. Do you want to know why? Because the kingdom of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, is trying to convince you you're not doing enough for God. So, if you've come in and you're haunted by the works that you've carried out or you're plagued by not doing enough now, here's the reality. Is it true that our former life was marked by the works of darkness? Absolutely. Absolutely. And is it true that God calls us to works of righteousness now? Yes. But notice verses 1 through 10 and how they're structured. Here's, here's the big idea. Here's the, here's the thing that we need to know the most so that the works of our past don't plague us and haunt us and keep us in despair. And the works that we're doing now, we don't measure um, how well we're doing by how much we're doing it. Um, notice in verses, notice that three verses, one through three, three verses are given to our past former works. Paul takes three verses to describe our former life. And then he gives one verse to the works that we are to be marked by as believers, as disciples of Jesus. There are six verses to describe the works of God. There is more of God's work nestled in this passage. There is more God's grace, more of God's work, more of God's goodness to lean on than there is and to run to and to cling to and to hold on to and to, to take in as promises 
there is more of the grace of God in this passage than there is your former life in the works of darkness and in the works that you're called to do now. Think about that. Even in your works of righteousness that God has prepared for you, notice that Paul says God has prepared for them beforehand that you should walk in them. Um, Even in those, God gets the credit. God is the author not only of your salvation, but your sanctification and the works that you're called to do and to walk in. And so I would remind you, friends, that there is more grace than there were works that you once carried out, and there is more grace for the works that you're called to carry out in Christ today. And so take that in. Know that God's grace is infinite and he is rich and abundant in it. I pray that uh, if you're here today and, and you're hanging out in, in the kingdom of darkness, know that there is room. There is a room in abundance in the kingdom of God. There is room for you to dwell. There is a place among the family of God for you. And, and, if, and if you're here and uh, you, you've, you do believe in Christ and you've been redeemed and you've been loving and serving, don't stress about how much you're doing. Don't, don't stress about, don't, don't let the enemy uh, attack you uh, and say, you're not doing enough. Look back and say, God has done all of it. And then work out of that. Work out of grace. Don't work out of shame. Don't work out of guilt. It's the grace that God calls us to work out of. Not, not, not guilt, not striving. Jesus has come to me, all you who are labor, labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is an invitation for those who are outside. That is an invitation for those who are inside as well. You, that invitation has been given to you and to me. So we were saved from works. We were saved by works, and we were saved for works to the glory and praise and honor of our triune God. Would you pray with me? Father, we Father, we want to press in as a community that has been saved by grace. We want to continue to press into that grace. And we want to offer that grace. And we want to proclaim the message of reconciliation. We want to proclaim the goodness of God. Lord, help us to to see our former works clearly as they were so that we might exalt in the gospel clearly as it is presented to us in Scripture and that we might work out of that place for your glory and for your honor and for the nations and for the cause of making other disciples. Lord, I pray that we would not be ashamed to hide what we were because that is, in te- that is, that is so much part of the gospel. That is so much part of, what, um, of who you are. And so may we never hide from that. May we never try to lessen the offense when we're in conversation with others. And when we share the gospel with others, I pray that we would not, uh, that we would not try to lessen their offense but that we would boldly take on the offense of the gospel so that we might live in the grace of the gospel and offer that same grace to others, Lord. Would you work in your church? Would you equip us with everything good to work and to will for your good pleasure? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful